Hi, everybody, and welcome to In Her Words. We're so excited to have Chris Marshall, who plays the groundbreaking Danielle Poole on Apple TV's For All Mankind. In this week's episode, she talks to us about the importance of playing such a powerful female character, being a new mom, and shares some very candid insight into her struggles and insecurities as an actress and how she rises above them. We hope you enjoy. For all of our listeners, we're saying it now, we have spoilers. So this is spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you have not finished the season of For All Mankind, don't listen to the podcast until you do. There you go, listeners. <laughs> we love uh, we love having something so timely that we get to say spoiler alert. Oh, good. Oh, good, good, good. So, Chris... Um, the first thing we like to start with is is on in her words is just hearing in your words your story. You yeah. know, what what kind of family did you come from a family of artists? Did you know mm. you always wanted to be in front of the camera? And tell mm. us your journey to getting onto this amazingly popular uh, a crazy ride of a show. Yeah. Um I am not at all from a family of artists. Um yeah, the story of um, of Black Americans in the United States is a complicated and sometimes sad and very long one. Um, I have traced my family back. My sister and my aunts have traced my family back um, almost 400 years. So our family has descended from one of the original groups of folks who were coming to the United States back in the 1700s. Um, and when I say groups of coming, you know, groups of folks coming, I'm talking about enslaved people. Um, so from, I know you mean like, where am I from probably more recently, but I think it's interesting to know that I am now an actress playing an astronaut, um, in our story, which is an all male, all white world when we begin. And so for me to have been a descendant of enslaved people, um, you know, my family, um, once they were freed, um, continued to live on that land and become mm-hmm. sharecroppers and tenement farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that land is still in our family's name to this day. And I visited that property. Really? So it's funny because as a kid, you hear these stories about enslaved people and it sounds so, 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 so far away, but we're not that far away. We're only talking about a few generations away. Mm-hmm. Um, so make a long story short, I'm from the South. And yeah, um, I think there is a real luxury and a privilege to be told at a child's age that you have the opportunity to be an artist. Um, You know, I come from um, very humble beginnings. My mom is one of nine. Um, So for them, the idea of making a career as an artist was just like making your career as a unicorn. It's just so foreign, the concept. So thankfully, my mom and dad worked really hard and gave my sister and I an opportunity to go to great schools and go to great universities and to have that privilege of being able to dream. So I am sort of the first generation of my family, not the first to go to college, but the first to be able to think outside the box of like the immediacy of what is it to make a living. Um, And so, yeah, after finishing drama school, I moved to New York for a bit and was in between New York and L.A. and eventually found myself in L.A. And um, just a series of teeny tiny roles on a million different TV shows, which added up to the opportunity to be seen for Daniel Poole, who was only meant to be a three episode character. And once I got in there, I 
held the door, held the door open. <laughs> and Danielle grew from the three-episode co-star to a female series lead in season four. So that's my journey in a nutshell. <laughs> did you always want to be in front of the camera? Did you do any work in school behind the camera or... Yeah, at drama school, you're man- it, it's mandatory that you do all of the positions um, okay. before you get the sort of privilege to be on stage. So we did everything from costume um, crafting to wigs and hair and makeup, um, all of the carpentry and engineering and lighting and all those sort of things. Um, but all the while, I was knew that I wanted to be um, on the stage initially and then later on, on camera. Um, and as... Um, a sort of creative outlet. I love to write poetry. Um, and so that is my dabbling into the other aspect of what it is we do, but I don't have the confidence. I've written screenplays before, um, but I don't have the confidence right now to have the world see those just yet. In terms of as your journey has come, and obviously you've had a lot of little worlds, as you mentioned, were there any mm-hmm. like big pivots for you or any doubts as you were going through that process? It's like, and yeah, that- doubts, doubts all the way. The, 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 the doubts keep coming, Renee. <laughs> I'm waiting for the doubts to stop. Give me a little a beat from all the doubting. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, there. It's hard to say um, what specific moment that uh, felt like a, a turning point for me. Um, I mean, obviously, my role in, in for all mankind has been um, yeah. monumental in my career. Um, but even long before that, you know, there are so many milestones along the way. Um, and I think what made an even bigger impression on me than the milestones was the sort of pitfalls and the low points. Um, you know, there is no crystal ball at all in what we do. Um, and there is no rhyme or reason. You can finish drama school with a group of girls who are all terribly talented and the gun goes off and you all enter into this industry. And some of your schoolmates you see have immediate success and they're on, you know, at the time it was like a soap opera. It's a huge deal. You already booked soap. And then others are doing, you know, 40 seat theater in God knows where. And you just feel like, when is it going to be my turn? Um, And along the way, I developed some pretty, um, some pretty rigid limiting beliefs around what could be possible for me. Um, and part of it is my own sort of personal history that I bring to it of what can, can Chris do. But then I think there's also the global assumption that the women who are at the front of the stage or at the front of the, the top of the call sheet, those girls are beautiful. They are young. They are white. They are blonde. They are blank. They are not me. Um, and so as I found my way and trying to find my footing, I just sort of had the assumption that I will always play these supplementary characters. And if I'm lucky, I'll play a larger supplementary character, but I'll never have the opportunity to, to take the ball and run with it. Um, and so the chance to do for all mankind was huge, but it was also in line with what I'd already been doing, which was these smaller characters. It wasn't until I stepped on set and got to know my showrunners and the writers and producers of our show and became more invested and involved in the creation of who she is and found myself speaking up and collaborating in a way that I'd never been invited to collaborate before, that I began to chisel Danielle. Um, And our writers have said as much that 
they didn't see what she was capable of until I came and began to play her. <clears throat> and so Danielle, I watched her step out on faith, stand up for herself, become more assertive, become more, um, uh, have more agency in her career. And I began to mimic that. So I started to send those emails to our showrunners and say, I think that we got to see more Danielle. I have an idea for a scene. I'd love to do this. I'd love to do that. In the costume fittings, I found myself speaking up more and more and more. Can we try this? Can we do this differently? On set, I'd say, you know, I have an idea for the scene. Can I add this button? What if I add this little line? And so she just began to grow. And I think as they saw me take more space, they gave her more space. Um, I would love to say that it just happened organically, but it didn't. I yeah. had to force my way in. Um, and thankfully, I was in a space where I was um, welcomed and where that forcing wasn't seen as arrogance or as shoehorning, but it was seen as a person who is um, taking responsibility and charting her own course. Do you find that your doubts now, you know, based on where you started and what you've gone through through this transformation with Danielle, that, you know, a lot of your doubts have shifted? Have you found, you know, in terms of your sentiment or your insecurities, things along mm -hmm. those lines, have you found that you've, you've kind of taken the agency and, you know, you're putting them kind of behind you and now you mm -hmm. have different ones? as you're, as you've evolved with your character, do you still feel, you know, the same way? I heard a quote from Michelle Obama once where someone was asking her, you know, what is it like to be in these rooms with these very intelligent men who are heads of state? And she said, you know, once you're in enough of these rooms, you start to realize that they're not all that intelligent. <laughs> so I think that um, so often, I assume that the people who have these opportunities are just orders of magnitude, more intelligent, more talented, more brave, more, more other than I am. And so it's not to say that they're um, not intelligent or brave or yeah. smart, but it is to say that I am those things too. So those doubts have quieted. Um, but, you know, I would almost liken it to being an addict in many ways that you never let it go entirely. You always have to continue to work at it. Um, so each level that I go to, um, whether it's like moving up in my series or, you know, being really nervous about being in front of a press junket. And now those things feel more confident and they're easier, but now the next level is like going to award shows. Those are scary. So there's always some new level that you're approaching where you find yourself feeling like that little seven-year-old Chris again, who's like, I'm small, I'm not cool, I'm not smart, and I don't belong here. Um, so it is uh, an ever-moving target. Um, but the good news is that um, I've done it enough times that I can rely on the previous me to stand up for me when the little me shows up and feels frightened, feels unsure, feels like, she doesn't know where to go. There's this strong me that's already done it. That's like, hey, we've done this before. Let me take the reins for a little while. Let me let me let you step aside. I think we got this. Um, yeah. So maybe so. I guess people would call that fake it till fake it till you make it. I suppose. Um, but for me, it just feels like, yeah, just sort of do it till you feel it or do it scared. There's such a self awareness there, and I think this is the first time we have heard as you're developing this character of Danielle, you're taking strength mm -hmm. from her and it, and, mm -hmm. and she's you and she's, yeah. 
because one of the questions I was going to ask you is, is where did you find that strength to make this character go from three episodes to four years or four four, and, and, or, and we, you know, we've read the stories of your advocacy on where you thought your character should go at the end Mm -hmm. of this last season. So is, you know, beyond taking strength from Danielle, is it, you know, is it going back? Is it go? Is it your sister? Is it your family? Is it, you know, there? What's the inherent mm-hmm. that that pushed little Chris to yeah to take those to take those steps? I think that there is um, a little bit of nature and a little bit of nurture that are operating at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, a f- famous little Chris story is I was in the first no I was in kindergarten and so I guess that makes me you know four or five years old and a uh, firefighter came to my kindergarten class to come explain to us about fire safety and then he explained that if there's ever a fire that you need to pick up the phone and by the way this is in the early 90s so you pick up the actual phone (laughs) and dial 911 and I raised my hand in front of all of these kids and these adults and I said excuse me sir Um, every telephone number has seven digits. So is it nine one one zero zero zero? You know, explain to me. No, no, no. It's just nine one one. So the point of that story is that even at five years old, like I was very determined. You know, really like trying to understand the world and the kind of little kid who's like putting the pieces together. It's like I may only be five, but I know that a phone number has seven digits. So um, I think that there is the nature in me where I've always been sort of precocious and um, very outspoken. And then there is the nurture. You know, you can't come from a family that was abject, dirt poor. You can't come from a lineage of women who literally did backbreaking labor. Um, You know, my grandmother, as I said, had nine children, um, but gave birth to 11 and two passed in childbirth. These are the, the, this is the blood that's going through my veins. This is the marrow that's in my bones. This is the women that I observed, um, the stories that I heard. And so I picked that up the same way that I learned English from my mother or that I learned how to cook from my grandmother. Like these things, these lessons, I was steeped in them and I didn't have a choice. I just, I breathed it in like oxygen. So I think it's a bit of both. And of course, there is the doubt that we talked about before, where you see people around you and say, oh, it's okay for him to ask. It's okay for her to ask. I can't. But I also feel like um, I just come from good stock, from especially from women who made me feel early on that my voice mattered. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, the story um, or the series takes uh, a really interesting um, the way it jumps decades. And I remember when, when we, when we first said, Oh, we're going to Chris on the podcast. And of course I Googled and looked and I knew, and I was like, wait, why does she look so old in this picture? And how, how is it, how has it been to do that to a, you know, to see yourself aging into, and to, you know, the, the, the photos that are out there and the, and the makeup and the hair and, 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 and that's a really unique perspective for the, for the series to take to yeah. leapfrog you guys, you know, up and back um, in age. Has that been, 
is that is it fun is it is it completely like costume character on screen or is it a little <laughs> self-reflecting how how has that been it is all of the above um yeah so i'll speak to the part that i love and then speak to the vanity um <laughs> the the part that i love is that um and actually they're they're two halves of the same coin um you know i've spoken a lot already in our short conversation so far about um, the external pressures of what it's like to be an actor um, and what it's like to, you know, literally sign in at an audition and look around at a room full of yous. You know, I'm just looking at 11 different versions of me who are a little bit skinnier, a little bit prettier, a little bit younger, a little bit, you name it. And so having that reiterated again and again and again as you're trying to make it in this industry, you can't help but feel like, I am only as good as my prettiest day or as my thinnest day or as my day where my hair and makeup come together at the same time. Um, so I would love to pretend like um, the vanity of it all doesn't affect me and it absolutely does. The thing that I've loved so much about playing Danielle and playing Danielle through the years is that you, in, in my opinion, in order to service the character, you have to surrender yourself to the truth of what this story needs. So even before we got to the part where I'm playing in old age, at the start of season two, we discover that Danielle has <clears throat> become a widow, um, that the love of her life, Clayton, who we last saw was ailing from PTSD of his time in Vietnam. Uh, we're under the assumption that we're gonna meet Danielle and the two of them are happily married and they've got a couple kids. And instead we find Danielle and uh, Ed and Gordo are talking here in the outpost bar. And she's saying, this has been the hardest time of my life. Uh, it's only been a few weeks since she's buried her husband who, you know, these two people are in their early thirties, they're young. And I wanna go back. And so this is again, one of those conversations where I, I advocated for myself and I'm sitting with our makeup and hair team. And I said, I wanna do this scene completely stripped of makeup, not one inch. And they said, okay, yeah, but we can do a little bit here, cover blemishes. And I said, absolutely not. I don't want to go the route of an actress who's had a tough time. I want to look like a widow. I want to look like a person who has pulled herself together as best as she can. And um, this is the best that she's going to do. And so I really want to do it. I don't want powder, nothing. And so there's something that shifts in you, for me at least, when you're on set and everyone's seeing a totally naked version of you and you know that this is now in the can to be streamed and beamed to 111 available countries wherever apple tv plus is, is <laughs> available and know that that is truly the rawest you mm -hmm. and so as i worked that day both playing danielle who's having this vulnerable open moment and saying to her colleagues i want to go back up i chris felt butt naked um, knowing that there was nothing there to, to hide the things about the hyperpigmentation and the things that I don't like about myself. And so that was my sort of first maiden voyage of like the bravery, the vulnerability and the surrender of really just doing it. And so from that point forward, I became almost addicted to it. So when we went into season three and then later in season four, <clears throat> I was no longer saying like, Oh, well it's, you know, yeah, she's, she's, she's 47, but she's not that kind of 47. Come on, let's do a little something. You know, and I said, absolutely not. Let's play it. 
And so it has been such a treat because then you're not held to the same standards that many other beautiful actresses are when they're playing these beautiful characters. You're just watching someone who is there because she is the best engineer for the job, because she is the most um, senior commanding officer for her acumen for science and her intelligent mind. Like that is why she's there. And I can still, as Chris, put on a face that takes three people and four hours to <laughs> go to the thing and two pairs of Spanx and five inch heels. I can still do that. Of course I can, I'm still a human. Um, but it has been so liberating and now I'm a bit hooked. Like now I'm really excited to find more opportunities to do that again. And whether it's continuing to play Danielle in season five or it's playing other roles where, you know, what does it look like to just totally play and not have one iota of the vanity of me wanting to look pretty on TV? What mm -hmm. if I just sat that to the side and just did the thing? Now you also asked to have your character killed off though is that i did <laughs> like what would it like i did a little bit and, that, and to me that's in the same you know yeah. if you asked me five years ago six years ago when i got this job like can you ever imagine being asked to kill off the answer is like of course not largely because yeah. i got bills to pay right yeah. what, what kind of moron would say kill me off the show like, especially yeah. one where you love the people that you work with where you all feel yeah. like family where you spend holidays together i mean it's throwing the baby, you know, a baby shower. Like this is a, only a crazy person would do this. And I saw what happened, especially, um, you know, I saw it throughout the series, but I really saw it when our showrunners decided to kill Tracy and Gordo in season two. They did that not because they don't love Michael Dorman and Sarah Jones. They love them very much. And they went back and forth about it. Ron Moore, our showrunner has spoken about it numerous times that they all grappled with it in the room and said, we can't do this. Everybody loves Tracy and Gordo. We love Tracy and Gordo. We're dumb to try to kill them. And they did it anyway because it was best for the story. And yeah. so as I was reading, um, rereading season three and preparing for season four, we'd gotten our pickup. It just dawned on me that she had played um, such a pivotal role in our world. And it felt like she was coming to an end. And so I emailed Matt and Ben and said, let's get together. And we sat and we talked um, and I said, I think that this is it. I think that this is it. And in order for us to earn it, we have to have a season where we get to really pick apart every single part of Danielle, really understand her and give her the dignified send off that she deserves. Yeah. And so at first they're of course shocked. And then um, after some thinking, they said, okay, I think we're on board for it. And so I went through all of season four thinking this is the season that I, that I die. And then towards the end, Ben called me and said, you know, I got news. Danielle lives. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why? We, we, we I've already come to peace with her death. I'm already looking for a new job. I'm, I'm already looking for a new job. Uh, but, you know, after talking about it more, I realized that um, it has become expected for us to kill off a, a, a series lead um, at the end of every finale. And also that it felt too morbid and too um, disparaging and too painful. Um, ultimately, our story is an alternate universe, but it's also um, a hopeful one. And uh, we always keep our eyes on the horizon for what the next thing could be and looking forward. And so I think that they wanted to feel like we're leaving our audience with hope for the future. 
Um, so I love what they did now, now that I'm looking back, I love what they did and how we sent away Danielle. Yeah, um, when you started the the series and I know everybody starts the series and of course you hope it runs forever and mm-hmm. you hope, and I feel like now in this day and age with, you know, the traditional network and with streaming and with, you know, traditional film, there's, what do you say? There's so much content. There's such yeah. great, you know, there's so much content. It's even more special when something grabs on like this. What's the, what's the atmosphere like in, you know, in the, you know, when you're reading scripts and when you're planning and when you're filming and when you're on set to know that, you know, this one really has jumped to the top and you're a part of that. And, and it's always fantastic and always wonderful, but even now it feels even, I feel like it's even more when something just galvanizes everybody, you know, into, into fandom. Without being cliche, it feels like a dream. You know, just yesterday I was at the library with the baby and we were at a story time and it's like a weekly story time thing. And after it was over, someone came up to me and said, um, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. I see you're with your family, but I love your work as Danielle Poole. And I was surprised, even though it happens all the time. It's like my brain can't compute that people can see me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you guys can like see me <laughs> out there because you know? you're just you're just doing your thing and you're living your life. And it feels like you make this thing in a little vacuum with your colleagues and the writers and the crew. And when it's someone's birthday, we bring a big cake and we, you know, we go out for drinks on Friday night. So it just feels like, you know, like summer camp. And then you forget, oh yeah, this is for the world to see. People will have um, a response to this. They'll be affected by it. And so I'm always surprised and always just so honored that people take the time to allow us into their homes. Um, You know, we shot, season two, both before and after the worldwide pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it was the craziest experience to feel like we made this thing and then were interrupted in the midst of making it. And so we were only able to hold on to one another. You know, how long will this be? Will it be three weeks? Will it be three months? Checking in with each other, sending messages on the group chat. And so it really felt more insular than ever. So that season especially felt very vulnerable to then have the world see it, knowing that um, our time on set, we were being tested every day, sometimes more than once a day. Uh, We were only able to spend time with each other. You know, it was such a galvanizing experience, but also a very terrifying experience to have the world be upended and have, um, you know, photographic video evidence of what that pandemic time was like. For me, you can see it in season two. Um, so it's just such a treat to know that the thing that we made entered other people's homes. It was also their pandemic. It was also the time that they spent, um, alone on the international space station. We've had astronauts who've said, this is my show that I watch when I have my downtime here on the ISS. And I'm like, that is mind blowing. (laughs) This is so meta. Um, so it makes me feel good. And then, you know, I get direct messages on social media and um, women coming up to me saying cool things like someone said to me recently um, you know my son is 17 he and I seem to have nothing in common and he's at that age where everything I do and say annoys him at best and at worst pisses him off and your show is the one thing that we watch and each time we watch I feel close to my kid and now that I'm a mom it makes me feel 
just so proud that we can make something that can be connected tissue for people who don't have things in common, but we can bring them together. It's, it's really, um, I don't know. I, I feel like when there is something out there that people start talking about, you know, mm-hmm. the whole, you know, at the water cooler or mm-hmm. being able to talk across multi-generational there, you know, it's even more special now because it's, again, it's in a mix of so many options for people that, um, that standing out is even, you know, is even more of a testament to the work and to the writing and to the acting that's, you know, that's bringing a project there. I think that's, that's very, very And cool. And I think, you know, thank you, um, because I feel like the world needs that right now. And whether it's like mm-hmm. political division or religious division or even, you know, generational division, there's all these memes about like Gen X versus the boomers versus Gen <laughs> Z. It's like there just seems to be a new way to divide us all every yeah. time you turn around. Um, and knowing that there can be something that feels connecting, I think it really matters. You know, I think that it helps, um, not that, the, that this TV show is going to heal the world, but I think it helps to be reminded of our humanity. You know, mm-hmm. when you see folks losing it on airplanes and you're just like, God, man, like what is going on in the world? <laughs> um, I, I would love to see more connecting material, you know, more connecting music, more connecting television. It's, it's important. It's what we need. And you're a new mom. I am. Quasi new mom. I feel yeah, like. Yeah. 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 How has that transition been? You know, I had the baby during um, the industry strikes. So it was sort of the best of, it was the best of times because I didn't have the FOMO that I would typically have. And, um, you know, I'll speak, I'll speak openly and say that I didn't know if I wanted to be a mom. You know, I think many women have that, um, driving force within them from a really young age. If I know I want to be a mom, I'm dying to have kids or they're in the opposite camp. I know I don't want them. It's not for me. There's not a lot of conversation around maternal ambivalence. Um, and I didn't even know that term existed until someone presented it to me and I was never anti-kids, but I was not never pro them either. And so my ambivalence, um, really wore into me and I felt like, what is wrong with me? How do I not have a drive in one way or the other? Um, but the curiosity was there. I couldn't deny the curiosity. And so, um, just after a series of conversations with my husband, we both were like, should we, should we, should we, should we, we decided to. And I am so glad that I did. And I guess I kind of have to say that right because I had um, But that's not true because I'm an honest person. If I didn't like it, I'd just ask you to talk about something else. Um, no, I just really, really dig it. It has been the panacea to a life of anxiety and future pacing um, because you can't do that. You've got this little person who's demanding such immediacy and such presence that you don't get the luxury of worrying about the future. You're just trying to live in this moment right now. So I am so grateful for the past me who went and just went ahead and did it because present me is um, receiving the spoils of that. And it's just been a blast. I love it. I love it. Love it. That's amazing. I'm actually eight months pregnant right now. Is this your first? Oh, yeah, like I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I'm here because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and there's so much conversation. I know that we're, we're here to talk about the business and we'll talk about the show, but yeah. I'll just say this. 
And there is so much conversation about how difficult it is. And it is. And you'll find a million videos on the internet that'll tell you how hard it is. Um, I don't think people talk enough about how easy it is too. It really does feel like your left hand moving with your right. It feels like the most foreign and also the most obvious and natural thing you've ever done. And your body will show up for you in a way where you're like, wow, body, you, you know how to do that? And your body's like, yeah, girl, what do you mean? I'm like <laughs> literally millennia old. Like this is how bodies work. And then there's just so much of it that is um, intuitive. And someone yeah. will tell you, he'll need this. They'll need this. Don't do that. And you'll listen, but then you'll do what feels right to your kid. Cause they're there with mm -hmm. you every day. And they were there from even before that they were yeah. there the whole time. And I wish if, if there was one piece of advice, it's not about whether you should get the snoo, who gives a shit about the snoo. I wish that someone had told me that I knew what I was doing, that you know what you're doing, that you can trust yourself. Well, I go to Gretchen because she has four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Am I right, Gretchen? I mean, come You're on. You're so right. You're so yeah. right. I remember, people, I remember even after I had kids and friends that had kids and they were like, I can't believe they let me out of the hospital with this baby and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, how did you not know what to do? Of course you know what to do. Yeah. yeah. You just naturally, you know what to do. And then you know yeah. what? And they're, I tell Renee all the time, I'm like, the best thing is they're so durable. So <laughs> durable. <laughs> hard to break a kid <laughs> they're oh, yeah. so durable they're so durable i was supposed to do something last night this will be the first i haven't even told renee this yet i was working away last night doing some things and my husband called me he'd happened just happened to go to volleyball practice with kendall my daughter mm -hmm. and i was like why is he calling me he knows i'm listening to a webinar mm -hmm. and the phone rings and he's like yeah, Kendall's front tooth just got knocked out <laughs> when you call <laughs> dr eichenberry she's got so here she is, 17 years old. You can't oh, imagine no. that with a suit that's like backwards. No. <laughs> so it never, uh, but you know what? It was that's like, it. I'll call the dentist, meet him at the office. Yep. They're like shoving it back up, and here we are. She's a full day, and we're all fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, uh, no, it is. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, you do, you just, you know, and you figure it out. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, I love what you said. It's the most, um, yeah, there, it can be the most anxiety, but it's also the most natural. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, people say, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, my question is what the hell did I used to do? I was thinking what? the same thing. I was what like, did I, had, I, I didn't realize it? how much time I had on my hands until now. And, and I also feel like now the things that I make time for, I'm choosing to be there. You mm -hmm. know, I'm, if I'm getting together with a girlfriend and she is telling some long drawn out story, like I'm there totally present and I'm choosing to be here. Right. And if I don't have time for something, it's okay for me to say, no, I don't have time for this thing either. Right. Um, but it's caused me to be more succinct and more efficient with my time because I have something that I really enjoy doing, um, and something else I really enjoy doing. So, right. Right. um, yeah, I really, I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back now. Um, 
what, and, and you probably don't have a lot of time, but what can you share with us anything that you're enjoying right now from whether you're reading or listening to podcasts or what, uh, what else you enjoy watching? We love to kind of share these nuggets. Yeah. So I'll go highbrow, lowbrow. Um, so highbrow is, uh, we love to travel. Um, and already with the baby, we've been to, um, out of the country a couple times and it's just nice. been great. Um, you know, there's something that is awakened in me during travel that I have a hard time replicating in my normal life. Um, you know, in normal life, if I go to a restaurant and dine out alone, I always find myself feeling apologetic and saying to the waiter, sorry, it's just me. Sorry, it's just me. Take away this other silverware. It's just me. And, uh, when I'm out and I'm traveling, I feel super, um, just like engaged and chatty and, and talking to new people. And I just love that. So, um, it's important to me to make time for travel and whether it's something close by like Palm Springs or Temecula or something far flung like Cambodia or Kenya. Um, I just really love travel. Um, so that's my highbrow and my lowbrow. Oh, I love reality TV. <laughs> I love it. Just the the worst, the scummiest, the trashiest, women yelling, champagne in the face. I just love it. So that's your that's your escape. That's my escape. The rainy weather day. Exactly. Exactly. So as you're looking ahead, you know, obviously, um, the series continues, but. Are there other projects that you're interested in, you know, pursuing, whether it, you know, obviously you had mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast that you're a little bit more timid on the writing front, but are there other mm -hmm. projects that you're interested in, in terms of how you're picking your projects or how you're exploring them? Or I feel as though for all mankind in some ways ruined me because now I know how good it is. You know, now I know what it's like. Now I know that the bar is quite high. Um, quite high for material, um, quite high for onset behavior, um, and for the way in which I want to feel. Um, I now know what it's like to be respected in these rooms and to have um, my voice be a pivotal part of the conversation. And I want to find that. Um, I want to find that in spades. Um, and, you know, where I'm struggling now is as I'm reading new things coming in and and auditioning for new shows, um, you know, I'm, I'm at a crossroads. There are some opportunities that are easier. There are opportunities that are money opportunities. Um, there are opportunities that are in town that make them easy. You know, I've got a new set of um, priorities now because I have a, a little one at home. Um, and now I think that the challenge is finding the thing that is right for me and knowing the things that are wrong for me and knowing the difference and being able to sit idly um, and not work for a bit until I find the next right thing. So right now it's a lot of auditioning, taking meetings and things like that. Um, I have done some other jobs in between. I did a pilot that I loved for FX, um, mm -hmm. which was, um, created by a woman, Kit, Stel Kit, Kit Stein Kellner, who, um, is terribly, um, talented and the piece was just a beautiful piece. Um, I did a few episodes of a new series called Bad Monkey, which is also on Apple. Um, that was a small recurring character. Mm -hmm. um, so I like to keep myself busy with people who I think are always doing things that are inventive and funny and smart. Um, but it remains to be seen. You know, I think um, motherhood has been a welcomed uh, sort of detour in my life. 
And now um, I'm really jazzed to just get back at it and find the next thing and, and hopefully spend some time returning to For All Mankind as well. So long as we get a season five picked up. So all the things, all the things at once. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Chris, it was so nice to meet you. And thank you so much for taking the time. We're so excited we get to be part of this exact point in your life and career with, uh, with the success of For All Mankind and the, uh, the finale of this season that everyone is surprised and loving. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, these uh, conversations are always so interesting and you have some of the best, most cool guests on. So Thanks. when you guys invited me, I was like, is this, is this the right? did they mean, mean to send the email email to my people because you know they want me I don't have anything to say um but I um I'm just so lucky I feel really lucky I think that hard work has paid off in my case um but it's also just been really um insanely good opportunities have come to me I'm really proud of myself and I'm excited to see what's next and I just thank you guys for having me on and please continue to do what you're doing because these conversations are important, you know, for women to be able to speak openly and plainly about their experiences and, and doing what it is they do and, um, and just showing up in a, a vulnerable and honest way. I think it's, I think it's really cool. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it was lovely to meet you and we're so excited for you and wish you so much continued success. Congratulations, Renee. And I want, I want to hear from you on the other side. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with In Her Words, join the conversation by following Women in Entertainment on our social channels and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womeninentertainment.com.